I first started doing announcement, that was, that was on our announcement sheet, dismiss the kids for middle school youth, and I don't think I did it once. I was doing it for years, and I don't think I did it once. And they tell me just about every staff meeting, make sure you dismiss the kids. Okay, I will. I couldn't remember, so see, they give up, put it up there. Um, did you know, I just thought of this when I'm sitting down there, Hebrews, it says that God has sent angels to serve those that receive salvation. That's a pretty incredible thought. You know, and it says that we'll entertain angels and be unaware of it. Now, I wonder how many times we've spoken to an angel or we've, you know, an angel has maybe helped us in some way and we've visually seen them, but we never recognized that they were there, that that was an angel sent by God. You know, it's pretty, a crazy thought. It's really kind of a, like a spooky thought. <laughs> but I think it's pretty neat what God has done. If we could just, you know, believe all that he's done, it would be amazing. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. I'm confident of this, that one, the one who began a good work in you and among you will bring it to completion the day of, of Jesus Christ. As we look into the letter to Philippians this morning, the Philippian church, we have got to remember that these words are a letter and they're for us as well. And in it we find fruit, wisdom, and insights for life in Christ. Paul has been so transformed by the life of Christ that he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul is the example of a surrendered life. Paul speaks to the Philippians and us when he reminds them that Jesus is worth every piece of our lives. He reminds us that we can live for Jesus wholeheartedly. Even when we are surrounded by hostility, our faith will not only survive difficult circumstances, but it'll thrive. This letter is about Jesus and that nothing compares to Jesus. And no one compares to Jesus. He's not just worth believing in, but he's worth following and laying down our lives for. And I pray that we can take hold of everything that he has taken hold of for us. I pray that he who began this amazing work here in Livingstone's church, this is a miracle that we're sitting in here. This land was the theaters, and uh, Livingstone's got it for... Uh, I think that it was around $150,000 way back then. By the time they sold all of the materials that were on the land, they broke even. So God gave them the land at that part. And so like this is a miracle. And I pray that uh, he who began this amazing work here on this land, in Livingstone's Church in Red Deer, that he'll bring the work to completion and may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with each one of us this morning as we look into these sacred scriptures that he's given us to guide our lives. You know, and this has been a quite a wrestle putting this message together. 
Every one of these words that I put together are wrestle, but this has been special. You know, like, uh, I had no problem because I felt, in my spirit, I felt that I was to preach from Philippians. But I was, as I was going through the the book of Philippians and reading through it, I was determined I wasn't going to preach because I kind of wanted to, but I was determined I wasn't going to preach from chapter 2, verse 5 through 10. And, uh, and I was thinking this way only because I thought these have got to be the most preached out of scriptures in the Bible just about. And so I thought, okay, I'm not going to preach from them. So I was reading and I was reading and I was praying and reading. And as I'm reading and reading and praying and reading, where do you think all my attention's going is to these verses? And I was determined, but remember, a while back I uh, mentioned in one of my messages that we can't come to God with our mind made up. And that's exactly what I was doing here. I was telling God what I think he thought that I should be preaching on. So my mind was made up and I was determined I wasn't going to preach from these texts, but yet I couldn't resist this thing. I couldn't, I couldn't preach from anything else because this was the only thing that I felt like God was saying there, 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 there. And so then this is where we're at. We're going to be looking at uh, Philippians verses 1, or chapter 1, 27 through 2, 14. And then, you know, so we have the title, The Power of Humility, because this is what it's about. It's about humility, and there's great examples of humility and love in the church, and that Paul was challenging the Philippian church with. You know, we often talk about the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, as we're worshiping here this morning, or as we were praying, I guess, in pre-service time here with the worship team, uh, we're, we're praying, and as we're praying, I, I just seen a mist of the Holy Spirit over this congregation. You know, and by faith I say amen. That mist is here, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And then I seen Jesus walking through the aisles and just touching people as he's going through the aisles. He knows our hearts. He knows our needs. And it's not about us being good enough to receive from the Holy Spirit or from, from Jesus. It's about his grace and his mercy and his love towards us. And he's walking through here touching your lives. You know, and uh, it was just quite a powerful vision that I saw there. You know, but the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, we, we love that. You know, to think of the power of the Holy Spirit to break out on our earth and for God to show himself like he really is, all-powerful. You know, it sounds so authoritative. I remember quite a few years ago, there was this show called, uh, what was that show called? (laughs) Tim Allen, Home Improvements. And uh, Tim Allen, known as Tim on his show, you know, this was one of the most watched sitcoms in the 90s. And I know Karen and I watched it. And then when it came on Netflix, I don't know how many times we watched it. But, you know, we, we just like to go to bed and watch a, a movie or two or something like this. And we watch one of these every night before we go to sleep. And, and they're so funny. And Tim Allen, his name is Tim on the show. Well, he had this idea he had to beef everything up. You know, like he would beef up his dishwasher. And he beefed up his lawnmower. He'd beef up his Christmas lights on his house. Like everything had to be over the top. You know, they actually did a little bit of a survey why guys liked this show, and it was all about the power. So funny. It was entertaining, and guys just connected with that. You see, 
him running, getting in his lawnmower. He's got the stacks out the engine, and he's sitting on the lawnmower, and then the thing just pops a wheelie. He goes across the yard and right into the neighbor's yard through his fence. Christmas lights explode. You know, we've got this thing about the power. I remember as a kid uh, lay, laying on the front room floor watching the Ten Commandments. Yeah, I don't know. How many of you seen that way back then? You'd have to be a little older like us. Yeah, because that's a long time ago. And I think it's so old now that it would be hard to watch, maybe. But I remember watching it as a kid and just thinking, that would be so awesome to be like Moses and to be able to talk to God like that. And uh, it would just be the neatest thing to be able to talk to God and see God do all these miracles. You know, God, he was all-powerful. Pharaoh was challenging God, and then all the plagues... We, did, we love to see that, you know, the hero in the movie. Moses standing up and he's calling to the, the people and his arms reached out and he says, Behold the salvation of God and the waters part. And the Israelites cross the waters. You know, we just think that it is so awesome to see the good guys winning. <clears throat> when we think of power, we think of kapow, we think of pow, you know. And, and when I got saved and I learned that God did want to have this kind of a relationship with people. This got me really kind of excited as a young believer. But as time went on, God wanted me to learn more about him. Because when you're a young believer, God will answer your prayers. He does what he needs to do to convince you of how real he really is. And so he had me convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was this real. And he started to work on helping me to grow up and to mature and to know him Uh, like he really was. He wanted me to see that there was a different part of him that I didn't know. He was teaching me to take his yoke upon me and to learn from him and that he was gentle and humble in heart. He wanted me to discover that there was a rest for my soul and that his yoke was easy and that his burden was light. God wanted me to learn that he was not like me and that I needed to learn what he was like And he was showing me how I needed to be more like him. And God says that he's taken the the things that society esteems as being great and the wisdom of this world. He says that he's taken the lesser things of this world to confound the wise. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. As we walk year after year, filled with the Holy Spirit, God helps those who have ears to hear understand this amazing power in humility. When Jesus wrapped a towel around his waist, he poured water into the basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet. Simon Peter objected that this was beneath the dignity of the master. We, the disciples, are supposed to be the servants, I wanted to insist with Peter. But Jesus answered, if I do not wash you, you have no part in me. And this is really quite an amazing thought. Unless I can believe in this much love for me, unless I truly know that this is my good that he seeks, unless I can accept that this is who he is, then I cannot have his companionship. See, what happens here is that when we allow Jesus to love us this much, It reveals in us that there's things that we need to deal with. And some of us, we have a hard time receiving this much love from Jesus. From anybody for that matter. 
And we all have strong feelings and strong emotions that, uh, about different things in life. And we can see that happening today. And these things, when these strong emotions and feelings within us, if we don't recognize what they are and stop and figure it out and prayerfully figure it out with the Lord, they get in the way and they block us from receiving the love that Jesus wants us to receive and then we ultimately don't deal with the stuff that we need to deal with so that we can live in freedom in this life. You know, and this is why it's so important for us to keep short accounts with each other and short accounts with God so that we can walk in freedom because there is such a freedom to walk in that God is offering us. We may even believe that these strong feelings and emotions, that's my conviction. But you know, we need to be cautious about that. It takes incredible wisdom to know the difference between conviction and pride. C.S. Lewis says that pride is the mother hen under which all other sins are hatched. You know, so this morning, our title, The Power of Humility, there's an amazing power of humility that, and the humility comes as we walk close to the Lord, as we walk with Jesus. And because God is not like us, we need to seek him. We're having a great time here Tuesday nights. Uh, like, there's like a spirit of prayer on this place on Tuesday nights when I pray that we'll grow, not in numbers even. I don't, you know, that would be great if it filled up. But I pray that the spirit of prayer, the intensity of the prayer will just continue to grow because it's pretty intense and it's been pretty good. You know, we see God in many ways. Like, I saw the Lord this morning. I saw Jesus by faith. I saw a vision in my mind's eye of him walking through the congregation. I saw the Holy Spirit ascending in a cloud here over the body this morning. We see him in each other. You know, as we speak to each other, you know, like we're just having a conversation, but then it's something that we're dealing with the Lord and somebody says something and it's just clicked to us. It was, there was something there that they said that pricked our conscience or it, it hit us because, you know, that, that was the Lord speaking to me right there. We see him in his creation. We see him all around us. Romans 1.20 says that ever since cre- the creation of the world, his eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things that were made. You know, there's a, an ant in South and Central America in the rainforest that will lay down in potholes and stand between, that stand between their army and the food. And their bodies make a makeshift bridge allowing other ants and sometimes over 200,000 ants to make a better time to getting to the source of uh, nourishment. You know, and uh, like this, it's a pretty lousy picture, and I'm going to get better at this. This is my next task on this sermon stuff. Get better pictures. But there's a good picture of God's creation, you know, like the ants pulling together, working together to make a bridge so they can get to their sustenance, you know. And uh, like God has seen all through his creation. And... uh, You know, like this here is a real good picture that we know that we can do so much more together than we can apart. You know, if we want to do something as a congregation like India, when we, uh, they built that orphanage and we supported it, we paid for that orphanage within a year together. We could have never done that alone. Maybe a couple of us could have, 
But, you know, we can do so much more together than apart. And here we see it right in uh, God's creation. And that's just one picture. You know, it's, it's eternal when you look. So there's two main reasons the Apostle Paul's writing this letter to the Philippians. He wanted to thank the Philippian church for their gift that he received from a man named Ephroditus. They sent him with some financial gifts and clothing and food because Paul is writing this letter from prison in Rome. And uh, so he, he wanted to thank them for that gift. And then he was also attempting to repair a relational damage that had occurred between two women. You know, it was going on. And uh, as they had worked alongside Paul doing ministry, so he knew them both. And, uh, but this relational damage was affecting the church. And so he was addressing that. And as we look into this chapter, we see that Paul is challenging them to humbly love each other. Through this letter, he uses the examples of Jesus, how he humbled himself. He uses the example of himself and of Timothy because this letter is addressed from Paul, the Apostle Paul and Timothy. Timothy was helping uh, Paul in Rome at the time when Paul was in jail. And Epiditus to challenge the people of Ephesus, uh, Philippians um, and us today to walk in these guys' shoes. Follow their example at serving to the point where they're willing to risk their lives to do it. You know, strained relationships in all of our lives, that's inevitable. That happens. And, uh, but restoration and reconciliation between us as believers is guaranteed. Guaranteed or your money back. Because it, uh, if we put the principles that Paul speaks to the Philippian church about here. We're about to learn that joy can come in the midst of stressful situations. Stressful times can come and they often do result in strained relationships. And it's through selfless, sacrificial expressions of love that we can beat the enemy at his age-old tactics, which is to divide and conquer. He's done it so many times. you think we would figure it out. You know, like that's his tool, divide and conquer. Humility is a difficult thing. And the moment that you think you've got it, you've lost it. Humility is essential to successful relationships. Love and humility go hand in hand. We can't have one without the other. Martin Luther says, love is the only force in the universe powerful enough to change an enemy to a friend. And Augustine, he says, one loving heart sets another on fire. The power of love and humility is the message of Philippians and as we look through just a small part of this letter this morning we're going to hopefully hear that whenever people love humbly unselfishly especially in the midst of difficult times they promote unity and joy and I want to say that again because I think it's something that we need to hear that whenever people humbly and unselfishly especially in the midst of difficult times show love and respect to one another, they promote unity and joy. Romans 8.5 says that for those who live according to the flesh or the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. Those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on what that nature desires. The church of Philippian, Philippi needed this letter and I think that the church worldwide needs this letter today. So Father... We thank you, Father God, that you are a relational God. 
Lord, that you want to have a relationship with us and you want us to be more like you, to be drawn, Father God, into your presence, to be a light, to be the stars in the sky, Father God. That's what you want. And I pray that you'd help us, Lord God, to be able to actively do these things, Father God, to make a purpose of being like the stars, being the light in the world, being the salt in the earth, Father God, all the things that you have taught us for so many years, Lord God. When we fall short, we thank you for your grace and your mercy, but I pray that you would just put a strong conviction in our hearts that we are going to be about your business, seeking first your kingdom, Lord God, and loving and promoting each other, Father God, in Jesus' name, amen. The Philippian Christians are being challenged to live a life that's worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus graciously gave them the privilege of not only believing in him, but also suffering for him. In order for this church in Philippi to be a light of the world, it was called to be that Paul says that they were to do all things without murmuring and arguing so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in which you shine like stars in the world. Paul is calling them to stand firm in one spirit, strive side by side. And through these texts and so many other texts throughout the scriptures, nothing delights the heart of the Father more than when we are generous with our love towards one another. So verse 27 of chapter 1 says, Only live your life in a worthy manner of the gospel of Christ. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now this is how we live this life that's worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ today. This is how we do it. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. A living sacrifice. Do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Now, we're in this world, there's no doubt about that, but we're not of this world. The culture and the world do not set the standard for the church. God has already done that. And God, uh, he says, through the scriptures, he says that this way that we walk is the narrow way. And few find it. That it's a difficult road to walk. But it's the walk of the believer. We have to ask ourselves, you know, we always have to ask ourselves, man, man, you know, like you do when you see things going on and you see the laws that are being passed in the land and you see what's coming it's obvious what's coming, and you, you know, like, as Karen and I have talked, it's like, boy, oh boy, you know, like, are we willing to pay the price? Now's the time to settle it. Are we willing to pay the price? And as we seek the kingdom, as we get to know the Lord, we'll have joy through the midst of it, and we'll have the strength to walk through it, because we'll know what we're all about. So only live your life in a manner worthy, uh, slipping on my button, eh? Only live your life in a manner worthy, you'll love this, of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent and hear about you, I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel, of, for the gospel. And there is no, there 
and are in no way intimidated by your opponents. For them, this is evidence of their destruction, but for, of your salvation. And this is God's doing. For he has graciously granted to you the privilege of not only believing in Christ, but of suffering for him as well. Since you are having the same struggle that, I, that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have, in, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Joy comes through the believer's life when we're living in humility towards one another. It is when we are united in Christ, we show that we're members of his body. Their relationship with Jesus should be producing special bonds to one another. And like the challenge given to the Philippians, our attitude toward one another, it's important and it really matters to God. And our attitudes toward one another is to be united, is to be one spirit and one mind, and we're to be about the same purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let those of us then who are mature be of the same mind. And if you think differently about things, about anything, this Two, God will reveal to you. Only let us hold fast to what we have obtained. We've obtained so much here in Canada at Livingstone's Church, the teaching of the word and the preaching of the word. We've received a lot and we need to hold on to what we've attained and not let it go by, you know, acting and by out of the fruits of the, the sinful nature. He says that, you know, if you don't agree, like if... Um, and if you think differently about anything, this too God will reveal to us. You know, like we just need to be patient and just let God work it out. And as the whole thing, you know, flows over, when we look back, we can say, yes, Lord, thank you, Father, for your grace. Uh, thank you, Lord, for your mercies. You know, there was an amazing pressure on the Philippian church to conform to the, the way society was. The Roman Empire was what's called an honor-shame culture. The so social status of elitism was of utmost importance in everyone's thinking, all of society. And the gospel goes against the grain when Paul's teaching and preaching. He says there's no Jew, no Gentile, no slave, no free, uh, free no male nor female. And when you have a, elitism and a, the status set on the structure that the Roman Empire was set on, this just went right totally upstream. And it was as the church loved one another unconditionally that it stood out as something very different than what the society was knowing. Because it wasn't about relationships, you know, public and all that, as much as it was about the elitism. It was about what you're doing and what you've accomplished in life. That's what everything was about. Let each of you look, uh, not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Now, Jesus washing the disciples' feet. You know, what a twist of events this must have been in the midst of this, uh, what the disciples grew up with. They would have grown up in this honor-shame culture, um, you know, with a Roman Empire dominating and ruling and reigning all of, you know, the then-known world, or most of it. 
And Jesus would have seemed very extreme in his teachings when he's, uh, when he's saying that if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you've got to learn to be the servant. That would have been very extreme. And the model Paul is setting before these people and before us here this morning exemplifies humility at its finest. It couldn't get any more extreme than this. And as I thought about it, it just couldn't have got any more extreme. And it was so extreme that they, they, it was like hidden from them. It was right in front of them, but they couldn't see it because of the extremity of the, of the humility. You know, their thinking was uh, being transformed, these disciples, as they're walking with Jesus. They're transformed to thinking a completely different way. You know, it's uh, Philippians 2, 5, and 6. 2, 5, and 6 says, Let the same mind... Be in you that it was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be exploited or something to be clung to or something that was to be used to his own advantage. But, you know, and then we see in John 1 that in the beginning was the Word, uh, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14 says that the Word became flesh and lived among us, and the Word being Jesus. And he, uh, he humbled himself and he became a man. And he went further than this. He emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave. You know, in a society where elitism is where it's at, and he's taking on the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form. And then he went even further than this. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. And not only that, but he allowed himself to be, to be uh, crucified and die on a cross. God the Father sent Jesus to the cross. And in obedience, Jesus went to that cross. Crucifixion was a form of capital punishment that the Romans employed really only for foreigners and slaves. And most who were crucified, they were paying the penalty for atrocious sins. Like any of the Roman people, if they were crucified, it was because of something very atrocious that they had done. And yet Christ's death was very unique. He died, but not for what he had done. He was sinless with no penalty to pay. He died for you and for me. He died to pay the penalty for the sins of the world. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us for it is written, cursed is everyone who hung on a tree. Romans 3.23 says that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. See right there, you figure, oh, I can't come to the Lord. All of us have sinned and fallen short. And apart from what Jesus has done, none of us can see the light of day. So that excuse, I just rebuke that in Jesus' name and say, you got no excuse. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. And as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I, I lay down my life for the sheep. Through the miracle of the resurrection from the dead, God gave new honor to the obedient, humble son. The worldly side of us says, wow, you mean if I give, I'm going to get? You mean the more I surrender to God, the more I'm going to get? This is true, you know, because there's no comparison to what we can give to what God is going to give back. But a real good thing to keep in mind is that God is not like us. Luke 6.37 says, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Like, these are pretty powerful words. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. 
Forgive and you'll be forgiven. Give and it'll be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. You know, given, giving to get cannot be the reason for our giving. And, it's, and I'm talking about, like, this here is talking about forgiving people. This is talking about relationships. This has been twisted in the past, and they've taken this part of this verse, and they've been saying this, hey, look at this, you give and you'll get pressed down, chained together, and running over money back if you give to God. This is talking about us giving to each other forgiveness and grace and mercy and showing each other compassion. Giving has to be from a surrendered life if you really want to understand what receiving what God is going to be giving back. This is the renewed mind that Romans 12.1 is talking about. Giving of ourselves with selfish motives will, carry, will not carry us through the disciplines of the Lord. Remember, God disciplines those he loves. And this is why we need the disciplines of the Father. To strip off the wrong thinking and to root in us the truth. You know, seeing, the, seeing what really matters in life. And there's a freedom in this surrender. And what a freedom it is to be out from the, under the shackles of sin. You know, we're set free from the bondage of sin, and now we become slaves of righteousness. Jesus surrendered to the will of the Father, and it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. The joy that was set before him wasn't going to be the position that he was going to be acquiring after the crucifixion. The joy that was set before him is you and I, that we now have the ability to come into the presence of God, and we now can be counted as a brother, sister of his, because of the sacrifice that he made on our behalf. God granted upon Jesus the name that is above every name. He exalted Jesus and seated him at God's right hand and now is called Lord. He has become the object of our worship as a church. He became the master instead of the servant. The church became his slaves and looked to him as Lord. All of this is a result of God's exalting the humble, obedient son. The result of Christ's humiliation was our salvation and his exaltation. Philippians 2.9, Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God of the Father. Following his obedience, God the Father decreed at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. The emphasis here is on every creature in the universe acknowledging Jesus as the Lord of created order. And God's heavenly focus or forces and his earthly church will honor Christ. And likewise, the demonic powers, the people who oppose Christ and his church will all bow down before him. Isaiah prophesied, over 700 years before this, he says, By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone forth in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear. Only in the Lord it shall be said of me are righteousness and strength. All who are incensed against him shall come and be ashamed. 
God's heavenly boundaries in humanity's earthly home and in the devil's domain below, every tongue will worship Jesus for who he is. The Lord, the sovereign of the universe. These, are ver- these verses do not mean that everybody's going to come and confess Jesus Christ as Lord because the scriptures say clearly that uh, today is the day of salvation. There are no second chances after death. Hebrews 9.7 says that just as it is appointed for mortals to die once and after that the judgment, so Christ having been offered once to bear the sins for many will appear at a second, coming, a second time not to deal with sin this time but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. You know, the older I get, and I'm serious, the older I get, the more excited I get at the thought of Jesus coming back. And if I don't die first, one or the other, they're looking better and better all the time, the way the world's going. The Lord Jesus Christ has given Christians an incredible example of selfless humility to follow. His example can be followed. Paul did so in, his, in this letter. And uh, he's calling the Philippian believers to do the same. And in the midst of all that we have been experiencing these past 22 months, you know, how have we been doing, you know, in, uh, as children of the light? Uh, you know, it's a struggle. When we have such strong feelings and emotions about what we think, you know, do you think that we've been tested this past 22 months. Like I know we've been tested. I've been tested and I've failed this test a few times. But we have to be aware, like Pastor Paul quoted in Genesis and it's very real, when God was saying to Cain, sin is crouching at the door and it desires to have you, but you must master it. We must master that sin. And how do we master our emotions and our strong feelings? You know, I think it's so important to understand that God, he opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. You know, we are to humble ourselves. Peter says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you in due time. How do we humble ourselves before God? James says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God and resist the devil. Resist the urge to lash out and to react. Delight yourself in the word so that, God, so that you can be like that tree that's planted by streams of water which is yielding its fruit when you need it. The joy, the love, the patience, the kindness, and the goodness. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Can we still have compassion and mercy even if we don't agree? Yes. We can if we choose to. According to the letter to the Philippians, Paul says, this is what we're to be about. This is how it's supposed to work. You know, there is an enemy, but the only power the enemy has in our lives is the power that we allow him to have. When Jesus said it's finished, it's finished. And I love it, and I've said it before, that in the book of Job, the enemy's confronting God about Job, and then he says, well, look at the hedge of protection he had around about him. Amen. I say that hedge of protection, those angels that are sent to serve those that receive salvation, they're about us. We don't have to worry about the enemy. We can see him prowling around out there like a roaring lion, but he's 
toothless. He's got no power over us. So let Jesus wash you. Accept the love that he wants to give you. Let him get into the depths of your heart. Apart from me, you can do nothing, Jesus says. So here's our recipe. I've got seven ingredients for you to to put in this uh, recipe of goodness. Submitting to God. We've got to submit to God. We need to resist the devil. We have these urges. We're tempted. We have these urges. We can say, amen, I've submitted to God. And as we're submitting to God, we become more and more like that tree that's planted by the streams. It gets rooted well, and it's healthy, and it's strong, and it's easier to resist, and it's easier to recognize. Draw near to God. Come out Tuesday night and join us. That's one way to draw near to God. Get up in the morning and seek God. Early in the morning, I'll rise up and seek him. Uh, Draw near to God. We will draw near to you. Or you draw near to God, he will draw draw near to you. What a great promise. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. And mourn over your sin. Let's stand. Father, we thank you, Lord. Lord God, you have instruction in your word for us to live by. You give us, Father, insights. And Lord, you have put your Holy Spirit in us. And we can have visions, and we can have dreams, and we can uh, discover things in your word, which is spiritually discerned. Father God, you've given us everything we need to live a godly life and to be the stars in the skies. And Father, I pray that we as a congregation would be seen as, uh, as your people, that uh, we would stand out like the stars, but we'd be standing out because we're doing the right thing. And I pray, Father, that for our community, that, that the believers in our community, Lord, that we would all stand up for what's right, that we would all stand out because we're just standing for truth. And I thank you for this letter to the Philippians, Father, and how it challenges our heart to be of one mind, one spirit, and to be about one purpose. Lord, we can have all kinds of things going on in our lives that we don't agree with, but Father, we thank you that the main thing is that we're about your kingdom and your purposes. So help us, Lord God, to be graceful toward one another and humble at heart, Father, following after your example, Jesus. You couldn't have done it anymore. You couldn't have done it any better laying it out for us wiping away any excuses we have. And uh, we thank you for that and pray that you just grace us, help us and draw us so that we can live the lives that you've asked us to live to build up and encourage one another to be the body of Christ that you've called us to be in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.